Mike Rowe here with a few thoughts on my favorite sweatshirt, a classic zip-up hoodie that used to be navy blue but has since faded to what the fashionistas call a distressed indigo. It's 13 years old, soft as a flannel bathrobe, and after a few hundred dirty jobs, demonstrably and undeniably indestructible. This is the kind of sweatshirt girlfriends like to permanently borrow, but I've held on to this one because I got it from American Giant. American Giant makes all their stuff right here in the USA so they can control every link in their own supply chain. That matters because when you buy American Giant, you not only get great quality, you create jobs for people in factory towns all over the country. No pressure, but if you give a damn about the business of making things in America, you got to support the companies who are doing it right. Go to American-Giant.com slash Mike to get 20% off your first order. That's American-Giant.com slash Mike. Welcome to another episode of Positively Trek. I am one of your co-hosts, Barry DeFord, along as always with Mr. Dan Gunther, a, a slightly more raspy and husky Dan. Um, I think we've had a bit of uh, forest fires up here, and it's uh, turned Dan into a bit of an Atlanta Miles. I've, I'm enjoying it quite a bit, uh, <laughs> uh, that, that gravel, gravelly voice. How are you doing, Mr. Dan? Not too bad. I feel like if I really wanted to, I could pull off a pretty good Kate Mulgrew impression. Uh, I won't subject people to that, but yeah, I've, I've, I was thinking like there's some lingering allergy stuff, but, uh, you made a good point that, yeah, the smoke is probably really affecting me. So I think that might be a lot of what's going on. Unfortunately, uh, for a lot of other people in our neck of the woods or near to our neck of, of the woods, smoke is kind of the least of their worries. Smoke is yeah. just the byproduct of what they're going through. So it's, it sounds trite, but my thoughts definitely go out to those who are imperiled by the fires. And uh, man, I, I'm so sorry and, and really, really hope that uh, the situation changes for the better very soon. Absolutely. And I, I fully agree. And, and definitely this is an opportunity, dear listener, to uh, um, lead with a little bit of Starfleet, right? Uh, if there's a disaster, what does Starfleet do? Right? Whatever they can to help. Mm-hmm. So um, obviously, you know, we're all in different contexts and situations in our lives. And sometimes it is just thoughts and, and well wishes we can send. But if more is capable, please do so. Um, there's obviously a number of aid organizations, both local, provincial, and federal, you can always look into. And if you're listening from another country, chances are part of it is burned too. So uh, also have a look and, and see what's uh, what's going on to, in your way to help, because that, of course, uh, is the best way to stave off any bad feelings. Another bad way to stave off feelings is to uh, watch Star Trek. In today's episode, we're going to be looking at a bit of a retrospective of this season of Strange New Worlds. Of course, there is a bit of an elephant in the room that I'm going to bring up a little more and have some uh, bit of discussion on in the fact that... Uh, we may probably not be seeing whatever conclusion we get from this cliffhanger until probably, I mean, at the very least, 2025. Mm -hmm. So more to talk about there, of course, later in the discussion. So if you have not seen any of the episodes in Star Trek uh, Strange New World Season 2, stop now, find a way to watch it, whichever way you find and wherever part of the world you're in, and then join us again as we start talking in depth because there is going to be nothing but spoilers ahead. So with that, I think we can move on to the news. Interesting little bit here about the flying save Star Trek prodigy banner that uh, 
flew above Hollywood the other day. Um, what do you think? First of all, that that released on my birthday of all time, so oh, that nice. was pretty great. Uh, <laughs> great birthday present for me. What do you think? Do you think that'll make a difference? Well, the the executive producers certainly seem to think it will, and they've been very thankful for uh, the folks behind this. First of all, though, happy birthday, by the way. Oh, thanks. <laughs> Surely the best of times. That's always a fun time of year. And hopefully, as maybe a late birthday gift, we get eventual confirmation that Star Trek Prodigy will be purchased and aired by one of these uh, conglomerates, one of these groups that they're trying to attract. So yeah, they flew this this banner, hashtag save Star Trek Prodigy, over Netflix, over Amazon, basically any of the streamers that they hope might... Uh, might pick this up. So I'm, I'm sure a few of them looked up and talked about it a bit in some context in their offices and stuff. And yeah, this story has definitely been shared far and wide on social media and definitely noticed by, like I said, uh, the showrunners and, and producers of Star Trek Prodigy. So very cool. And uh, <laughs> it definitely, charming. yeah, charming. Absolutely. And it goes to show the, the depth of, the Star Trek fandom as a whole, but also uh, the fandom that's rallying behind Star Trek Prodigy in particular. So it's inspiring a lot of the same sorts of movements that going back to the 60s, the the impending cancellation of TOS did, right? It is reminiscent and it is sort of like a nice, for me, like nice little diversion from a lot of the the yucky stuff happening. I'm, I'm actually just looking at the Trek movie um, posted on an app. I don't know which one. Um, the uh, the flight path. And mm, you see the, the yeah. plane take off from the airport, does a couple circles to ascend, and then it flies over um, over LA, uh, over Santa Monica. And you see it does like, it goes like a bunch of circles, and then it zooms off. <laughs> <laughs> I just think it's charming. But I think, you know, I mean, what it really does is it, it kind of reminds me that we are in a fandom that is full of just really nice people who like doing nice things and it is, it is nice and it's, it's something that I enjoy and feel good about. And I do think personally, and obviously it was a bit of a, I buried the lead there. I do think this is going to make a difference. I think this is showing just the level at which people are willing to go to see good television, right. And good entertainment with an actually positive message. Absolutely. And I think Star Trek Prodigy is is kind of, you know, while it was airing, was kind of on the vanguard of that movement, right? Introducing a younger fan to Star Trek and really modeling that behavior. And, and as the, the kids in the show, and I mean, we've talked about this a million times, the kids in the show learn about the values of Starfleet and what it means to be a part of the Federation as you know they're teaching the viewers that and showing that we could have a better world and things could be different right so 100% so let's hope we uh we get some more traction on that honestly i'm i'm thinking it's it's i'm i'm crossing my fingers that's all i'm going to say is i'm crossing my fingers here here and the the producers the the writers and and everything remain very optimistic that it will be picked up so we're just you know we're impatient we're waiting for news along with the rest of you so yeah it'll happen though i think well, we are looking at some news again on Star Trek Day featuring that uh, Lower Decks theatrical screening. Mm-hmm. 57 years of Star Trek. I like to think that's uh, that's a pretty cool little piece here, but it is going to be a animated celebration. They're saying this one um, 
Lower Decks Theater screenings. Uh, this year, Paramount is also celebrating the 50th anniversary of the animated series itself. So it is kind of neat seeing an animated series from back in the day, of course, and now. And you've got that amazing poster where you can see characters drawn the way that they would have been in the animated series to some degree from the looks of it. Those tiny, beady little black eyes that they had. You Are you an animated series completionist, Dan? Um, I'm a bit back and forth on that. There are a number of episodes a couple in particular that I think are actually very, very great episodes. Uh, Yesteryear, written by DC Fontana, of, of course, floats to the top of many people's lists. Mm-hmm. Um, I would say, you know, watch it once through. I totally get it if it's not your cup of tea. It's kind of hard to to accept with our modern sensibilities, the animation style, the music, and that sort of thing. If you look for it, there's still a lot of love there and a lot of that classic Star Trek stuff uh i don't know i enjoy it It, if i'm in the right mood i really enjoy it um (laughs) if i'm in the wrong mood i can kind of get like i don't know the the universe where all of the sky is white and the stars are all black like of course that doesn't make sense but anyway (laughs) (laughs) i think for me probably the most like memorable star trek um animated series was how sharp a serpent's Mm. tooth um, that was written by an indigenous writer, and it, it had actually uh, an indigenous bridge officer, uh, if I remember. And I'm, yeah. remembering, I'm not remembering names or anything. The premise had something to do with Aztec gods. I think Quetzalcoatl was in it or something like that. Uh, Kukulkan. Kukulkan, there we are. Or if you're William Shatner's Kirk, Kuklakan, <laughs> apparently. Kuklakan. <laughs> 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 oh, Bill. Yeah. <laughs> Anyways, moving on. So yes, there's going to be my guess is this is pretty much like the closest we're getting is like I think there's going to be and it already would have happened. Um there was a screening in Calgary and in Vancouver. Are those the only Canadian locations? I think, I think. so, yeah. I I looked yeah. it up. I mean, obviously there's going to be none in Grand Prairie. <laughs> but I was thinking, <laughs> you know, Bridge or... <laughs> maybe Edmonton, right? You know, yeah, but yeah. Uh, no, no such luck. Uh, I do remember watching, I think it was the Menagerie part one and two when TOS Remastered was coming out. And that was in Edmonton. They had one in Edmonton, but uh, no such luck with this. But yeah, lots of uh, different locations, many in the U.S., of course, Columbus, Dallas, Denver, Philadelphia, Phoenix, San Diego, St. Louis and Washington, D.C., uh, and then in Canada, we have Vancouver, Calgary. Obviously, uh, the other cool part is uh, Star Trek Day will also feature airings, special airings of Star Trek Strange New Worlds on CBS itself, uh, beginning at 8 p.m. Eastern and Pacific. Uh, and they're going to be doing the first two episodes, Strange New Worlds and Children of the Comet, back to back. So that's sort of, I guess, to entice people to then hop on to their uh, streaming platform and get a membership to watch the rest is what I would what I would understand. And I think there's going to be a sale, like a Star Trek sale, like merchandise sale as well that day. So Mm -hmm. September 8th is the big day there. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra low net carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. 
Thank you so much for downloading this episode of Positively Trek. We truly do appreciate each and every one of our listeners, and I'd like to especially thank our Patreon supporters. Thank you to our Constitution Class supporters, Jim Stoffel, Joyce Marin, and Paul D. Kinnear. If you'd like to become a supporter of Positively Trek and join our crew, please go to patreon.com slash positivelytrek. You can get early access to episodes, exclusive content, shoutouts, associate producer credits, ad-free episodes, and more. Again, that's patreon.com slash positivelytrek. Thank you all, and live long and prosper. Well, that's it for the news. I think it's about time we hop into our main topic. Sounds good to me. Let's do it. So Star Trek Strange New Worlds Season 2 is at an end, Dan. And I think we have another solid season of entertaining and fun episodes in albeit tiny um arc of episodes but um that's okay i'm i'm 10 is better than zero so overall let's maybe start what do you think is going to be one of the biggest takeaways from strange new world season two for you well i think kind of similar to season one for me the strength of the show for me has been advancing these characters stories in ways that are unexpected which I have to think is hard to do for a prequel, especially for characters that we know from later iterations or earlier iterations. I, I, I'm continually impressed with their character development and how they do things and make it fit into what we've seen before, but not necessarily in ways that we would expect, right? TOS, for example, a lot of those characters, you know, very kind of, if you weren't Kirk, Spock, or McCoy, you were fairly thinly drawn and, and not a lot to go on. So fans over the years have really filled in that backstory with kind of their own things, maybe stuff from stuff that's considered non-canon. And what Strange New Worlds has done has been to populate that backstory, but really surprising me in maybe adding context to something that I thought about one way in TOS, but now realize has a whole nother layer to it that makes me think of another way. So uh, I was really impressed with that with discovery when they were in the 23rd century and with season one of strange new worlds. And I just really see that continuing with season two. I think they've really got that down. And I mean, your mileage may vary. I know there's people that, that disagree with me on that, but I think they've done an amazing job of making it all fit. I agree, obviously. Um, <clears throat> obviously, we are a happier podcast on this, but even <laughs> if we had, and I think we can have a few criticisms, and, and mm -hmm. there are a few that I would that I would bring about, um, but I think for me, the biggest takeaway, and the one that I appreciate the most, is a nuanced way of looking at canon that um, I think is finally kind of permeating and and working and it started i think we've talked a bit about this with discovery i think it did the most to challenge canonical understandings of star trek obviously the look of the klingons is sort of the big one there but there's other ways that they've managed to do that and i think by sort of banishing themselves into the distant future was kind of a way to finally shake free of all the chains and restraints right but um obviously with anson mount's uh, portrayal of pike no one wanted to see him leave and they went down that rabbit hole of continuing on and trying to create that sort of Star Trek-like bridge between the 1960s and now. And, you know, 
just the other episode, you and I were talking about musical Star Trek, and you look at how much music was in the original series, like full on, like minutes long songs with like, like verses and bridges and like choruses that get repeated and, and stuff and go on. So I think Strange New Worlds took a lot of calculated and strong risks. It's able to work on sort of some floating signifiers that exist with some of the crew um, now at this point because they are just sort of effortlessly cool. Uh, Ortegas obviously is where I'm pointing in that direction, but I think we've seen other characters show how cool they can be. So yeah, the challenging of canon, not taking itself quite as seriously all the time. My favorite episode hands down was those old scientists (laughs) this is the direction we can move in right kirk looks different uhura looks different scotty looks different right we're 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 letting it go and it's nice (laughs) Uh, i'm really happy to see that yeah i feel like there's there's definitely a spectrum of star trek fan and how seriously you take the the canon thing like i have seen comments from people that like can't even accept that pike looks different that it's not jeffrey hunter on screen and i mean i how the heck that would work i have no idea uh until maybe the day the you know the holodeck becomes well i'm deep fakes now maybe i don't know but yeah. uh you know so there's there's that extreme end that if there's any deviation whatsoever from you know a visual thing or something like that that it's just completely uh unacceptable and then you know there's the other side of the spectrum where people say that you know they shouldn't adhere to canon they should just do their own thing and who cares about old star trek and i'm definitely nowhere near either side of those (laughs) i'm I'm kind of right down the middle like storyline and and that sort of thing i think is important to adhere to but when they do things that challenge how I interpreted something, I'm kind of impressed that like, oh, that thing that Chapel said in that episode of TOS didn't mean what I thought it meant. It actually meant this. And that's kind of cool. I appreciate your point in the sense that it it again helps us kind of look at things from other angles. Uh, while I was doing my research in TOS there, looking at the musical Star Trek episodes, because I don't typically just recreationally watch episodes of the original series. Like my go-tos, as we've mentioned many times before, is TNG and um, Deep Space Nine. Mm-hmm. And honestly, there will be times I'll hit Enterprise a little bit too when I can. But, um, you know, I don't really go that direction. But even looking at the the portrayal this series of Dr. Mbenga, versus how they have portrayed him now in Strange New Worlds it took a bit. It kind of took me out and, and made me rethink when I saw his character and being like, this is what he's capable of, you know, now that we can see him from another another aspect. So I appreciate that. I appreciate the way that, that they are sort of dancing with the um, the canon and allowing there to be a little bit of tension too. I think there needs to be a bit of tension because it, it forces us to have to really consider it. Like I didn't quite buy it to begin with, mm-hmm. right? The idea that Mbenga is this like war torn, war ravaged guy who can take out a, a small platoon of, of uh, enemy enemies with, you know, with relative ease, you know? Um, and then he's this soft spoken healer, right? It's important, and I think it's a good way of, of, like you said, kind of taking things and moving it in, in other directions. What um, what characters would you say really stood out to you this season? This season, one that really stood out to me who I was not necessarily 
uh, huge on in the first season. And I think this was kind of by design a little bit. Uh, La'an, Noonien Singh, Christina Chong, a really, really breakout character this season for me. I found myself absolutely loving every time she's on screen from the beginning where the Enterprise is kind of going off to save her. I was like, oh, okay. But then a couple episodes later, we get tomorrow and tomorrow and tomorrow, her jaunt into the past with Kirk. And that was so good. She was so incredible in that episode. And I, uh, I have no, I make no illusions that she ever saw this, but, uh, when I first watched that episode and I watched it a little bit before it had actually aired because of the, the screeners that are provided, I jumped onto Twitter and I messaged her, her DMS are open. Apparently I messaged her and said, I don't normally do this. I'm sorry, but I just watched this and your final scene. I just had to tell you how amazing that scene was. And, uh, yeah, like I said, I make no illusions that she ever saw that, but I was like, I was compelled to just, I, that scene where she calls Kirk, the, the prime Kirk sees that he's alive. And he of course does not know her. And then as soon as she turns it off, she just loses it and starts bawling. I was just, man, oh man, can she ever act? And can she ever sing? Wow. Anyway. <laughs> you're you're right on all fronts. She really stole the show this this season, I think, in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. So on any any other, what, what about her character, obviously, outside of that, would you say you'd be looking for in a, I guess, in at this point in time, um, yet to come uh, third season? What would you be, what would you be looking for most of all? Immediate moments, notwithstanding, what kind of arc would you like to see? Or do you think they're going to pick another character to kind of bore in on a bit more that i mean that is very only 10 episodes to play with right that's kind of mm-hmm. the the thing that we're dancing around a little bit here uh i feel like various characters will kind of come to the forefront and, and go to the background uh ortegas i'm looking at you for for very different real world reasons she was kind of uh in the background a little bit this season yeah um, but yeah, I, I would love to see a continuing kind of her coming out of her shell. We got that glimpse of her in an alternate future, right? At the end of season one, where I think I actually saw online somewhere, somebody was doing that thing where you're not really watching the episode completely attentively and stuff. And they actually said like, who is that character? She reminded me of, of Christina Chong's Laan a little bit, but you know, she seemed different. And it's like, no, no, that was her. Like, hmm. She's so different when she plays that kind of open uh, bubbly, I guess. I don't know if that's the right word, but that, that, that very extroverted version of her character that her current self is very much not right. So we've seen that she's really capable of, of huge change on that front. And if that's somewhere her character wants to go, I want to see her realize that, right? And that looks, I, 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 it looks good on her. She wears it well. And I'd love to see her as she sings about in that episode. Could she be the person who takes those chances and, and opens herself up? I want to see that. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you've, you've really kind of, I don't know, I'm, I'm looking and I'm like, nah, you've, you've kind of hammered it out here. I think that, um, that we we've seen again, I think an ensemble cast start to form out of this, this group in a lot of ways. And once again, I think we might see characters who we've lost, you know, 
definitely make make new appearances and then obviously the reimagining of characters like Kirk and Uhura I mean obviously Uhura was uh, she was last season too but you know just the idea that we're we're getting to see characters we would recognize or I guess in this case our parents and grandparents would recognize but being characterized slightly differently I mean obviously 2009 had uh, had recharacterizations as well and I will say that I think that Chris Pine did a fantastic Bill Shatner Kirk in a lot of cases but um, I digress a little bit. So for me, I think probably the, the character that stood out the most to me would be uh, Dr. Mbenga. Mm. Watching him struggle with post-traumatic stress and how exactly he conducts himself when in um, <clears throat> very you know sticky situations that are, are in peacetime and, and whatnot and how one can kind of return to those things um, those those darker abilities when necessary and know that they kind of lay under the surface he he definitely became much more of a uh, a deep pool I think in a lot of ways and I think he was acted absolutely perfectly. I think that Bob Zulisamakan is a extremely sharp actor who is capable of holding variably like the same facial expression, but have it mean completely different things. Like, you know, that one part where they're in that hallway with chapel and he's like killed. I don't know how many Klingons at this point. He kind of like looks over at her with that, like that same face he looks at people with, <laughs> but there's, there's so much different in it. It's, um, it's really well acted. He, he was very compelling. I think I thought about Mbenga a lot because I didn't fully agree with what they were doing with him. But I think for that reason, I paid closer attention and now I, I love it. So mm-hmm. they did what they were supposed to, I guess, in that respect. I would like to see Mbenga maybe work with people a little more moving forward in that sense of like where health isn't necessarily something simply physical, right? Now he is not a psychologist, so he can't necessarily do psychological work with people. He is a physical doctor, not a, uh, not a psychologist or a psychiatrist. But I do think that there are certain elements that he might be able to work in a little more moving forward. Um, I often think about O'Brien kind of being sort of a prototype of a character dealing with uh, PTS in certain ways, especially on that ep- the, the episode of the uh, of TNG when Marco Limo is the original Cardassian bad guy. Mm, um, mm-hmm. The wounded. Is that the... Yeah. Yeah, is that the correct one where where O'Brien confronts him in Ten Forward? Yeah, it's, or is that a different Cardassian? It's a different Cardassian. It's one of his his underlings, but uh, yeah. yeah, Babs was incredible. I think as Mbenga, and yeah, like you took it took me a little bit to kind of get used to that. And he's the kind of character like he he's in two episodes of the original series. Um, but you don't really know a lot about him except that he did an internship on Vulcan or something like that. And Mm -hmm. like, that's about it. Uh, and he knows to slap Spock really hard (laughs) to bring him out of a healing trance. (laughs) But, uh, yeah, I think he's brought an amazing depth to the character. And you mentioned the Lower Decks crossover episode, those old scientists earlier, I just want to, it, it was in reference to another character, but I love Boimler's part in that episode. And I think we can kind of apply it to our impressions of Mbenga and other characters that we know where he sees Spock in this case, acting a certain way and <laughs> yeah. says, that's not Spock. That's not how I remember him acting basically as a proxy for a lot of us in the fandom who are watching this going like, this isn't how I know these characters. This isn't how I remember seeing them in the original series. And 
something that kind of blew my mind and I had never really thought about it before is like even a character like Spock that you've seen in all of these episodes and all of these films, how much of his life have you actually really seen? Like if you read about an historical character or uh, somebody you've idolized for years, if you go back in time somehow and just spend two or three days with that person in their life, they are going to confound your expectations in ways that you can't even think of. So I think that's perfect. I think that makes a ton of sense that we actually had that perspective of someone coming back in time and saying, this isn't how I know these characters. I've read everything about this character and they never mentioned once that, that he laughed or smiled or in the case of Mbenga that, you know, he was haunted by his experiences in the Klingon war and all this sort of thing. So I, I love that perspective. I thought that was really cool. And, and I had to say, you know, watching that, looking at Boimler, I'm like, oh, I see what you're doing there. And I like it. <laughs> so I was going to say what episode stood out and this was going to be my one I was mm. going to say. So I, I appreciate you, you know, kind of lacing that, that outward, I'm sorry, lacing that out in the sense that I think there is a bit of a tongue in cheek aspect to all of this. Whereas maybe to some degree pacing got a little jarring when you went from those old scientists to under the cloak of war to subspace rapid city to hegemony <laughs> yeah a little bit of a yo-yo there oh my goodness like <laughs> use the clutch you guys seriously <laughs> so you know i mean i mean again what are you gonna do with 10 episodes right you're gonna have to you're gonna have to do that there you can't like have a nice you know little filler episode like they would do every now and again like a holodeck episode during the dominion war or something i think that's what those old scientists was trying to do was to say you are not necessarily going to know precisely what your hero was up to on a day-to-day -day basis and you need to understand that having heroes kind of makes you vulnerable to extreme disappointment shock horror frustration and existential dread in certain cases you know you are going to encounter people at different points of their lives um, just like you're going to find that that gets realized in a lot of ways with Spock, that he is a dynamic character who, like, if we think about it, what really is necessarily outside of the norm here, if you think about Spock and all the stuff he's done, if you look at his entire life from, you know, his inception as a character in TOS to now, right? He's died several times, or twice, I guess, if you count the... um the, the JJ verse, right? And come back to life once <laughs> from that. <laughs> and he's worn many hats. Um, and, and so, yeah, to see him in a slightly different part of his life, I think about my own life. And boy, I wouldn't want to... I don't know about you, Dan, but would you want to, like, spend an extended period of time with 17-year-old you? Oh, God, no. Other no. than to maybe slap him upside the head. I, yeah, I, I, w I wouldn't have much to say mm -hmm. <laughs> to him other than, like, you need to get your act together, man. So yeah, I guess that that's the point of this is I, I hope what this does is it is it sets a nice tone. I think that's a nice episode to give people, you know, that kind of under the surface messaging on how we should be approaching fandom. And yeah, be, be more, be more excitable and excited about people flying airplanes about saving prodigy and stuff like that, right? Rather than quibbling over small things. It was really fun watching Boimler mince around the, uh, the Enterprise though. Yeah, 100%. I, I guess, yeah, that's my, I, you could get all bent out of shape over every little thing that you perceive to be a violation of canon, this almighty C word, right? Or you can be like 
Christopher L. Bennett, one of my favorite Star Trek authors, who seems to use every novel he writes as a platform to explain away some inconsistency in a really creative and fun way. This is a bit of a diversion, but I love what he did with the post-finale Enterprise novels, where, you know, the the different insignia for different starships, right? Well, there's a, a number of founding members of the Federation, and the Starfleet Arrowhead Delta that we know and love was part of the United Earth Space Probe Agency logo, Uh, So he said, okay, well, that's the exploration arm of Starfleet. Mm. And he took the Constellation one and said, like, well, the Andorian symbol kind of uses loops and circles and stuff. So that's the Andorian fleet joining the combined Starfleet as the defense arm of Starfleet. The, like, bar of the Exeter was Alpha Centauri, and they're in exploration slash administration. And the... um, the weird little kind of rounded one that the Antares crew wears in Charlie X is from the Tellarites because it kind of <laughs> looks like a, a like a porcine hoof thing. So they're sure. like, oh, that has to do with uh, you know, um fleet resupply and and stuff because they were they were a freighter or something right like that. So hmm. in in one fell swoop, he explained away non-canon of course but he explained away why there are different logos for different ships in tos but also why sometimes you see people from another ship and they also have the arrowhead symbol of the enterprise so it's not that each ship has a different thing it's that these these different parts of the fleet and a century on they're more combined they're more diversified as far as races but those divisions of the the parts of the fleet still exist or something it's like that's brilliant why not use these little weird cannon bumps in the road as a as something to launch a fun explanation off of and say like well we know it's this way but why let's let's try and rationalize it i think that kind of exercise is fun i love it yeah i i fully agree with you while you were saying that i was thinking back to the enterprise uh, episode arc where they explained away the klingons um lack of wrinkly foreheads mm-hmm. right with the virus whatever the heck that was and I, I think that's perfect and and you know to not have too many of those klingons around in this this iteration or this period of time that arguably they could be i think it's perfectly fine and it, and it explains away something that to me honestly doesn't need explaining like the gordon look cool the, those reimaginings and stuff are fun and i like that there are people out there who want to kind of wrap their head around that sort of thing so the other piece of this is like you know so obviously we have our sort of lighthearted episode and then we have these kind of more serious darker some of them very dialogue heavy like i'm thinking about ad astra per aspera very dialogue heavy and um, I quite enjoyed that episode. I thought it was, you know, a little measure of a manny in certain cases. I like a good court drama. What about you? Absolutely. I think when that episode first came out, I said it was the best episode of Star Trek to come out since Deep Space Nine went off the air. And I honestly meant that. It was, I think, a very high bar for the season. And and I think I, I haven't done my season rewatch yet. Like at some point I like to rewatch the season before we get into the next one. And mm-hmm. unfortunately we'll have lots of time. Um, but yeah, that episode was incredible. And I, and I think even though it has lots of really good company up there, I think it's the best courtroom episode in Star Trek. It's taken me a while to come to this conclusion, but I think it edges out measure of a man for me. And I love the measure of a man. <laughs> 
Well, I mean, it does sort of deal with humanity in both cases, right? And maybe we'll dive in a little bit on this episode right now, you know, the idea of, you know, the Illyrians and uh, genetically modified human beings. Um, And obviously, there's some deep and, and very heavy prodigy elements to this as well. I think it deals with sort of somewhat or at least parallel, would you say like parallel um, moral conundrums? Definitely. I mean, there, there's very obvious parallels to things happening in our modern world that are uh, both implicit and explicit in that yes. episode. Absolutely. That too. I think, you know, the the concept of, of what exactly is sits within the boundaries of what is human and what what are humanities and what is humanity and stuff like that. I actually love, and I was thinking about this because it is stuck in my head, going back to 2009 Star Trek when baby Spock is in his little learning pit, whatever that thing is. <laughs> um, the it Vulcan says, learning pits. <laughs> yes, the Vulcan learning pits. <laughs> yeah. I, I feel like you could you could do a real big stir fry in one of those if you wanted to. Anyways, if you haven't seen the movie, I'm sorry. It's the it's a, just this gigantic field of metal and then there's these like pits with like screens in them, like co- convex pit, pits or concave whichever inward. Mm-hmm. Um and there's like screens everywhere and there's holograms and little little Vulcans are just answering very quick trivia for the most of it. But there's a point where he says what makes something what makes something sentient? or define sentience. And he said, doing something that is morally praiseworthy without it being morally obligatory. And I think that's really important in terms of what sentience is, is, you know, an alligator or a gorn protecting its young is instinct, right? Mm -hmm. It's not doing it because it's like, my babies are cute and I love them, like in the way that we would understand it, right? It's protecting its progeny. And I would argue human beings do the same for their young as well. They will protect them no matter what at all costs. But there's something to, you know, an alligator looking at a puppy and not being like, oh, and, you know, instead just chomping it up kind of thing. So it's this idea that we're capable of doing good things without the desire of doing something or getting something in return. Returning your cart to the the corral at the supermarket when no yeah. one's around to tell you to do so. <laughs> exactly, you know. But what I'm kind of getting at here with with what I got out of ad astra per aspera, uh, which is lovely, is this idea that in the case of an Illyrian or a modified human being, they are still capable of sentience. And they are still capable of good. And the fact that they have certain advantages doesn't necessarily preclude the fact that they are going to capitalize on those advantages in a negative way. And that we need to start seeing advantage that some people may have, rather something to be stifled or to be shut out, but to be incorporated. And I think I think there's a lot of a lot of connective tissue between that argument and sort of how things go in the first season of Prodigy as well. Would you agree? Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And and yeah, that I mean, that is very much a, a thread that runs through Prodigy. And interesting that there's there's these kind of parallel things that Star Trek on various iterations seem to be kind of contending with a little bit. It has a lot to do with the human condition, uh, I think. And obviously, that's what they're actually exploring, folks. They're not in space. They're in the human condition. That's what they're traveling through. All those aliens you're seeing are just different versions of what humanity could or or might be, right? I think in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. And there are Gorn within us, trust me. <laughs> oh, yeah, burning the planet down. Um, but anyways, the, the, the whole idea of 
what Star Trek is is truly exploring are these questions, and for them to return to them at different times, I think it's interesting because what was happening during the time of Measure of a Man, but the idea of you know we were starting to awaken to this idea of artificial intelligence. I think it, it is a contemporary episode, or at least close to a contemporary episode, with TV shows like The Terminator uh, or movies like The Terminator and RoboCop, where we can see what else technology can bring, and data provides us with something something wonderful, something beautiful, something charming, but also something unique, right? You can't mass produce data like that. I mean, in the comics, you can, obviously. But in this respect, I think this is the idea that uniqueness is the thing that data is looking for within the arguments of of Measure of a Man. He's not just Pinocchio with his strings, right? And I love Riker's arguments in that, and he actually kind of convinces me how good he does it. But I think when we're looking at the court case that's happening in Aspera, we're looking at sort of the opposite of that. It's like, you're too unique. You can't be here. Um, mm. You're too special. You can't be here. Which, yeah, it, it does sort of beg that question of like, what are what are the margins of humanity then? And that's ultimately where Star Trek is exploring is within those margins. That episode, I it's one that I really want to revisit again very soon because it touched on, on so many of those issues and, and some of the, the language that is used there, right? Like, you know, she didn't choose to have this done to her. She didn't, for all intents and purposes, she was born that way because she was born into the society that did this at birth kind of thing, right? So, Mm -hmm. you know, the parallels there and for what we're dealing with on a number of levels in current society, right, is pretty obvious. But I also like your point about, you know, the the bleeding edge of, of... technology and that sort of thing like with ai with data but also we could very well see in the next little while you know the worry was a few years ago right designer babies we have the technology to uh, maybe do some of this stuff now and and you know it's been a little quiet on that front for a little while but that's Mm -hmm. all still there right so Mm -hmm. and maybe i guess to to kind of move in in a certain direction you know i think the idea that Lon has to understand is there's a certain product that she is of a certain eugenicist movement, right? <laughs> and and I would be personally, you know, vehemently against the concept of eugenics and that disability is actually something societal, not necessarily something purely personal and a personal issue in a lot of ways. And mm-hmm. I think that in this, what we're looking at not so much as someone who's genetically modified for the sake of their, you know, that eugenicists movement, but the idea that you're right, she didn't choose any of this. She didn't go in willingly. And in this case, you know, we can also see, and as an educator, I know that there are people who are on the other margin, right? There are students who are challenged by curriculum and there are students who are unchallenged by curriculum. They get it. They want to move on, but now they're stuck, you know, a Ferrari in an area where there's a bunch of, you know, little tiny Volkswagen beetle bugs or something like that, right? Like there's the other side of it too, that we need to accommodate for. And I don't think it's necessarily outside of the realm of possibility to do that, even for the gifted or those who have certain advanced, you know, advantages that other people might not, especially if they're 100% bought in to the society that they want to be a part of, like Lon is, like, like, um, uh, number one is and, and such, right? Mm-hmm. So I think that's maybe if I was to kind of like qual- qualify my point a little bit more, that's kind of where I'm getting at. Um, but you're right. I mean, there are people who 
do want to, you know, make, as you, as we call it, you know, designer babies and stuff. And that's something that really frightens and concerns me um, because I don't think that's necessarily the direction we want to head in. But also to the same, you know, idea of how technology can alter us. I think there are people who are born um, with an inborn nature that isn't necessarily best expressed within our society. And sometimes using medicine can help, help them manage that and help them explore and understand and express who they truly are. Mm-hmm. So it's a nuanced one, and that's the best part about Star Trek, right? It's all of its nuance. I liked the nuance in Tomorrow and Tomorrow and Tomorrow, where Lon, con- continuing with her her little story here, where she literally has to work next to the man she loved and lost, and here he is again in a completely different um, different context. I do have to say, the actors between the two of them, the chemistry between Kirk and Lon, pretty steamy. Yeah, I, I enjoyed it. My goodness. <laughs> <laughs> and I mean, the two of them both really, really bring that yeah. in in really unique ways, you know, like uh, Laon's kind of awkwardness, yeah. maybe, around Kirk when she meets him late in later episodes. <laughs> I think there's there's two separate occasions in the episode Subspace Rhapsody where, and I think it's both to number one, when number one says something or is picked up on something, and she yeah. goes what <laughs> her, her little innocent what it's just yeah. so good breathy north londoner yeah and you know say what you will about paul wesley i think this season he has killed it as kirk i he oh, yeah. is absolutely kirk in my mind i was a little unconvinced in the finale of season one just slightly but at the same time i also held in the back of my head I know we're going to see him in season two. And I feel like in season two, we're going to see why this guy was cast as Kirk. And we did because that man for all of, all of Kirk's attributes and things that make Kirk who he is. Paul Wesley has the charming down Pat. He has got that Kirk charm and any scene where, uh, you know, he's not, flirting with laon if you watch it in if you rewatch it in the context and know where he's at in his life he's not actually flirting with her but boy is that man charming but i think he's just as charming when he's talking to spock or when he's talking to uhura and there's no kind of uh interest there which is probably why uhura mistook him for you know trying to hit on her but like even in the episode subspace rhapsody Watch the way he talks to Spock when Spock explains what's going on and says the, you know, this uh, improbability field is blah, blah, blah. At the end of it all, Kirk looks at him and says, oh, it's very good. You almost made me understand it. That's (laughs) that same charm. That same charm is there as when he's talking to Laan. It's just part of who he is. And because of where Laan is and, and her thing, that chemistry, it's just immediately magnetic between them. Yeah. I, I agree. I, I like to think, are you familiar in listeners, if you're familiar with Chris Isaac's song, Wicked Game, where he kind of Roy Orbison's a song about not wanting to fall in love with a person, but he clearly has. And there's that kind of dreamy, dreamy Telecaster guitar playing in the background. It's, it's, it's a good song. Check it out. Wicked Game by Chris Isaac. It's, it's the song that floats in my head, thinking it's the f- song that's floating around in Laon's head, uh, <laughs> in Lost in Translation. Uh, when she has to work with Kirk. And I just, I think of like the, no, I don't want to fall in love. 
move kind of thing. Oh, it's totally. just, she's like, oh, oh, come on, get out of my face. And you're right. He is, I think the word is charismatic, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, if I was on a spaceship and anyone's Kirk was wandering around, I would probably be somewhat man crushing on him for sure. Right. I mean, I loved Chris Pine's portrayal. I, my favorite actually is when he's getting hypo sprayed over and over again by bones and he's leaning up against him and he's like, yeah, that one too. That stop it is very like, it's very Kirky or the, you call us a favor. (laughs) Like (laughs) those little bits, right. That I think were really good or, um, Something about the Kobayashi Maru and he's eating the apple and he's mm. making sure that her refer like uses the honorific captain and stuff like that. Like <laughs> it's those little bits here. And yeah, he's got those those nice, funny little quips and stuff like that. But also, yeah, he gets your attention. That is uh, for darn sure. So yeah, anyone who's who's saying he's not doing a good job or anything like that, I mean, sure, fine, cool. It's all good. I'm enjoying it. Yeah. I mean, there's are some things that are a matter of taste, I guess, but uh, mm-hmm. I, th- I think if you if you read a character description of Kirk and he's doing that, he's not doing William Shatner, but he's doing Captain Kirk. Well, Lieutenant Kirk, whatever. Mm-hmm. But yeah, whatever. <laughs> so what do you think here? And, 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 you know, obviously at the end of the last season, we, we lost our engineer. Um, what do you think about our new engineer that now that she's had a, uh, a couple of episodes, 10 around 10 to... Um, because it wasn't in every single episode. No, um, special guest but, star, and yeah. yeah, I think was in six or seven. I can't remember. But yeah, what what do you think about her 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 timelessness? I I have found that very enjoyable, to be honest. Yeah, especially I, especially her her interplay with uh, number one. Hmm. Yeah, I f- find that to be a, a really interesting aspect of her character, and something that. I, I think they could have a lot of fun with and have played with in interesting ways. I, I like that idea of someone like she, Oh yeah. There's a great example where she says, I think it was to Boimler in those old scientists where she says, someone I used to know once said, uh, if you, and, and I'm going to very badly paraphrase this, but if you, uh, if you're not the person you want to be, pretend to be them until you are, until you become them or they become you. That was Cary Grant that said that. And I love that they didn't like spell that out. But if you look mm. up that quote, that's a quote from Cary Grant. And she's just like, some guy I used to hang around with said this once. <laughs> and so I, I love you know, using it in little tongue in cheek ways like that. I also loved that, you know, she figured into the plot in tomorrow and tomorrow and tomorrow. And, and mm-hmm. apparently, you know, has appropriated a number of things from the Louvre over the years. Yeah, that's great. I think she's a fun character and I, I hope she's in season three, uh, quite a bit and continues to be on because I think she's brought a really, interesting aspect to the show and that's even putting aside the fact that like how wonderful is it to see an older person hanging around with all of these beautiful young people and just being integrated into the crew and having a wonderful role to play in the show you know it's something that you don't see enough of in most modern shows that are of this ilk right this is a bit of a deep cut but she sort of gives off a bit of betty white hot in cleveland vibes mm-hmm. yeah if any just somewhat i'm too old to be reverent at this point and i kind of see the forest for the trees and 
I'm a little bit above everyone else's little personal machinations in a lot of cases, but I'm also not going to necessarily pick at every single one, but there's always going to be one I'm going to pick at the most, mm-hmm. right? And and I, I think it is the idea that perhaps what she sees in number one is something of herself, and that's kind of where I'm getting with this a little bit. And I think, yeah, we might not see her again, you know, if it's another 10 episode arc, my suspicion is that she'll probably get, you know, five or six. But in that, I think we'll see her pass the torch, first of all, to Scotty, uh, at least I'm hoping. And I think we'll also wind up um, seeing her bid us farewell. I hope it's not through death, though. I hope it's just her moving on to go do something else, which would be pretty wicked. Yeah. The Star Trek universe being what it is. Could we see her pop up in Lower Decks and be like, hey, I remember you. Please. Oh, please. Oh, my God. Please. (laughs) I love like, okay, seriously, Mike Mahan, if you're listening, just do that. Yes. (laughs) 100%. Bring her into Lower Decks. Yeah. But I, to to respond to what you, you said, I love her interactions with the crew and number one in particular that when, for example, Una is kind of ranting at her a little bit. And says, you know, you have crumbs on your shirt. When did you eat? You're you're like a space hippie and, and all this kind of stuff. And she has this look on her face when she's looking at Una as she's saying this, like, I'll just wait for you to be done. I know you need to do this. Okay, you done? Cool. Now, this is what this is really all about. You know, I gave you a C in this and you're mad about that. But that's not actually what it's about. You're mad because I'm not Hammer and you miss him. Can we move on now? <laughs> yeah. I just, I love that. Uh, and her whole demeanor in in that same episode, for example, when she's talking to Uhura and, and she says, I remember Hemmer. He was one of my best students. No, that's a lie. I'm just saying that because he died. He was actually just an okay student. Uh, right? She kind of cuts through the BS a little bit I, and I love it. Yeah. It's a, it's a bit of an irreverence that, uh, I think plays well, especially with a Western audience, you know, she's kind of a singular person doing her own thing who, you know, shoots from the hip. And I think that can be refreshing sometimes. Mm -hmm. So I'm not going to talk a lot about Pike in this. Um, I know he is a love interest. I found his whole arc in this to be kind of interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, but I want to kind of focus maybe the last bit of our discussion. Maybe we can bring Pike up a bit in this, but I need to talk about Uhura. Yes. I think we need to, <laughs> we need to, to, to get this this very central character. Um, she, she very much weaves through a lot of the episodes. Obviously she's at the center of some of the episodes lost in trans translation being among one of them. Um, I didn't necessarily like the visions that she was getting throughout all of it. It was, it gave me some discovery, um, vibes of just how violent, uh, it can get in certain cases. But at the same time, I understand they have an interesting story to tell. Mm-hmm. Um, also her singing in subspace Rhapsody was, I know everyone's giving a lot of, um, Christine, uh, Chong, a lot of love for her very wonderful voice, but, uh, ooh, I gotta say <laughs> keep us connected um, is an in- incredible song and she is amazing in that <laughs> absolute bullseye so overall you know i think giving her a, a ton more to do even right i mean it's not like she was necessarily a tiny character in tos really either um she sang a lot <laughs> what do you think do you think we're gonna they're gonna keep the ohura train going or do you think they're gonna give her some time off and what are some more notable um moments from the season for ohura for you yeah i really really appreciate celia's portrayal of uhura and i think like everything 
about her just really channels the spirit of that character. And even right down to uh, the choice of wearing her natural hair, you know, like she was actually given the option, unlike Nichelle Nichols, do you want to wear a wig like she did or do you want to wear your natural hair and she opted for the the natural hair which i really appreciate because that's something that nichelle nichols has said that she wished she could do and i think uh star trek the motion picture might be the only time that she actually was able to have her her natural hair in the role um but beyond that like the singing obviously but the the prodigy aspect of her the fact that she's brilliant like we saw hints of that in TOS with Uhura being able to kind of crawl inside the guts of her console and rewire it in ways that the engineers couldn't figure out kind of thing. Seeing that kind of carried through, I really enjoy that. And also the the fact that she didn't necessarily want to be in Starfleet, but has kind of made her home there. I think that's an interesting aspect yeah. of the character. As far as next season, I, I feel like we're going to see a carry on through of Uhura simply because... I'm assuming she's going to be there for the duration until, you know, we get to that TOS era. I don't know. I, I feel like she's so interesting as the character. I'd love to see more, but I'd also love to see more of all the other characters too. So I'm kind of, again, we just need more than those 10 episodes, which ain't going to happen, unfortunately, but that's okay. I think hers is a story of someone really and truly finding their place, right? And, you know, obviously Keep Us Connected is is kind of the bonk bonk on the head. Here I am, I found my place. And, and I think that's absolutely wonderful. That really, if you think about it, for a lot of her career, Uhura, much like Spock, much like Kirk, spends a lot of time on that ship. My goodness. And, and many iterations of it too, right? Um, so I mm. think that, I think that, I wouldn't be totally upset if we saw her kind of pull in Ortegas in season three and just kind of like be part of the ship now. But at the same time, you know, I think they could add a little bit more to her. They always are good at giving Uhura something to do. I think she has also blended the two kind of major portrayals of Uhura quite well. Um, she does add a little bit of the hectic 2009 JJ verse Uhura to the Uhura that we saw in TOS, which wasn't not like it's not that she wasn't confident or anything like that but i mean i found um 2009's uhura to be a little more decisive and and in this case i think i saw that a bit more with with this iteration of her as well i mean i think about way in like the the cinematic uh star trek when when they were in the kind of the edge the, the, the twilight of the tos era and she's still having trouble translating certain things i think that was in um oh in star trek six yeah, so in Star Trek Six, Six, she's still having kind of issues with that. Whereas, you know, I think she would be maybe kind of a mix between that and the absolutely fluent Uhura we saw in the JJ verse. Anyways, I think that Uhura is gonna we're gonna see a lot of her. Last but not least, I think we can probably end on Pike. Uh, what did you think about his 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 love arc in all of this? And and I mean, I can't necessarily say I didn't see this coming. <laughs> Tragedy awaits the yeah. man wherever he, he treads. Yeah, there there's definitely some fear of of tropes rearing their ugly head and you know, they didn't necessarily fridge the the woman character in service of the man's story, but at the end of the season I will note that Captain Battelle 
is in a fridge. She's not dead, <laughs> but she <laughs> is so mm, maybe a little bit of a bad taste in the mouth there. But I don't know. The the one thing I would say, and I, I've said this before on the live show that I do with Brandy for each new episode that comes out, I'm not... I, this is going to sound bad. I don't really care about Pike and Patel's relationship. (laughs) Like it is not like a storybook romance to me that I think needs to be fought for tooth and nail. I'd be totally okay if they, uh, just kind of went their separate ways at some point. I wouldn't be extremely broken up over it. Not to say that they don't both deserve happiness and they seem pretty okay together, but, ah. You know, I don't know. I I would root for Spock and Chapel's relationship before theirs, and we know it's not gonna last. So uh, Chapel yeah. knows. <laughs> yeah, Chapel knows. I agree knows. with you. Yeah, I really like Patel. I think she's a great character. I enjoy watching her. But yeah, yeah, make her more than make her more than Pike's love interest. Yeah, the one thing I will say to just generally about Pike himself is his indecisiveness at the very end of the episode of of the season felt very yeah. artificial to me. I don't know yeah. that didn't that felt like raising the stakes for the sake of raising the stakes. I don't know it didn't feel real, and I was kind of thinking back on it. Pike comes across as a little bit wishy washy over the course of the season in a number of episodes as well. For example, uh, the episode with Benga and his war history and stuff, the, the scene in his quarters with the Klingon and tensions are rising. And there's a couple moments where, you know, various characters kind of look at him and he kind of shrugs and goes, nah, I don't know. And I was like, that's kind of weird. Why is he so like that? <laughs> yeah. If I was to, if I was to say, you know, like, obviously I'm, I'm not, bent out of shape that Ortegas didn't have a lot to do but in my head I'm kind of like Pike always seemed like he was standing halfway out the door and Ortegas just sort of walked through the hallways giving people finger guns in my head (laughs) (laughs) like and then I mean the only thing I really want of of Pike is more shots of his kitchen um yes just the, the interior design like gotta say mad props to the set designers you all basically made a space ikea catalog come to life just absolutely wonderful blend of 1960s futurist uh artwork and architecture and everything it was just uh, really cool to see mm-hmm. um i love the i love the 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 gas fireplace griddle thing he's got i love and also i mean a 300 person exploration cruiser and the captain gets what is most likely like seven to ten berths to make his like amazing kitchen yeah (laughs) whereas you know you know we want to get into the canon of it all then you look at kirk's much more modest accommodations i really hope they write that in at the end of this series when when and if kirk takes uh takes command he's like oh shrink this thing down we can fit like eight more guys in here (laughs) yeah well i feel like the crew compliment in tos is given as just about double of what it is currently so i could headcanon that right now a little bit yeah fair enough i'm gonna say something that might be a little bit anathema to a lot of star trek fans earlier when i was saying that like they've done a really good job of of i think setting things up that we see the payoff later in tos Mm -hmm. i think it's also okay to ignore some things in TOS, not big canon events, big things that, that happen. But for example, the big one that a lot of people cite is Pike in the cage, right? Talking about his yeoman. I like her enough, but I can't get used to having a woman on the bridge. 
I think we're yeah. okay to pretend he never actually said that. I'm okay taking an episode like City on the Edge of Forever and when they're on the planet and Uhura turns to Captain Kirk and says, Captain, I'm frightened. I think we're okay kind of forgetting that that happened and accepting that yeah. this Uhura is not the character who would say that. So, yeah, there's my hot take. <laughs> Some things you can just ignore. And on that hot take... I think we can we can we can call it a wrap here on our our season two retrospective on Star Trek's Strange New Worlds. I am so happy that uh, we got a nice send off that we've got ten more episodes of really really good Star Trek, um, and I think there's more to talk about in the future. So if there are things you want to continue talking about um, with this season, we would love to uh, hear more, and and we can dive deep into some of those extra things that uh, we 100% missed because those ten episodes. Episodes, my goodness, they crammed a whole log in there, didn't they? <laughs> and they went by fast. <laughs> oh, that's the thing, right? Yeah. So though we might not necessarily have a lot of new Star Trek to uh, talk about in the near future, uh, at the same time, there's always Star Trek to talk about. So you can find us on our Positively Trek Facebook page. And until next time, stay positive. special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low, net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co.